Hannah, would you mind opening us up with some prayer? I'd love to. Um, Jesus, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for um, waking us all up and allowing us to breathe and just um, love on you. And I pray that tonight we would um, all learn something new from what you're going to share through Steve. And I pray that you would just give Steve the words to say and... um, um, just really bless this time. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have started a new series, so we can turn to the book of Acts. Last week we did the uh, sort of intro to the author, who is Luke, and a li- talked a little bit about what the series is going to be like. We'll read here about Theophilus. This is uh, the second book that Luke has written. Uh, The first one is the Gospel of Luke. And both of these letters, or both of these books, I guess, are um, written to Theophilus. So we talked a little bit about that last week. And jumping right in here, verse 1, he says, uh, The former account I made of Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which He was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So we talked last week about this. This is sort of a previously on. So this is... This second book is picking up right where the first book ended. Jesus has, he's already been killed, risen, and he, this is saying he, he spent 40 days, after he rose, he spent 40 days basically just hanging out with his disciples and still doing many different signs and speaking to people and just living with them, eating with them, hanging out with them. It's like... Jesus was alive and there and well and hanging out with him for a month and a half. So that's where we're picking up the story. We can continue here in verse 4. He says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall uh, be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So in John 14, if you guys want to read about it, that's where Jesus prophesies about the the helper coming, who he identifies as the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit's going to come as a helper, and he's going to come soon. And so Jesus is saying, right before he ascends into heaven and takes his rightful seat at the right hand of God, he tells them, the Holy Spirit's coming, go to Jerusalem and wait there for him. Verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? There's a lot to be said here, lots to research if you kind of want to dive into what they're referencing, why they think this. But they are just very quickly, they're referencing a lot of prophecies in Ezekiel, Haggai, Malachi, other prophets that are talking about the Christ coming, bringing Israel together, and basically ruling and reigning as king over Israel. 
And that's what they're referencing, that's what they're talking about. And this is the same theory that many people were upset by and why they sort of hated Jesus and wanted to kill him because he was not the Christ that they were expecting. He was not the king that was sort of promised to them in the, in the prophecies the way that they were reading the prophecies. He was obviously the Christ. He was the king that was promised, but they didn't like it. They, they were like, we thought this king was going to come with power, knock all of our enemies out, and we were going to rule over everybody in this like glorious kingdom on earth. And that didn't happen. So that's why a lot of the Jews hated him and uh, killed him. People still argue about this theory and kind of say this is still going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set up this. He's going to reestablish Israel and he's going to have this kingdom on earth and we're all going to rule over the world with him. This is still a theory. It's still out there. But what I want to say about this is that we must listen to Jesus's response here to this question. This is uh, very important, very key when they ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Uh, and Jesus' response is in verse 7. He says, And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So Jesus prophesied before about his second coming, about the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in 70 A.D., and during this time, people were like, when will these things take place? People ask him, and he says, only the Father knows. I don't know. The angels in heaven don't know. Only God the Father knows the, the time of the second coming. And this is just something that um, I, I don't feel it's, like it's talked about a lot, but this is something that we need to kind of be comfortable with saying, I don't know sometimes. And just kind of, there's a lot of things that we just don't know. And we need to get to the point of just saying, God the Father has a plan, he's working it out, and we just need to trust him and know that he has everything under control, and we need to just sort of lean on him and trust in him in those times and in those times of questioning. Uh, there's a ton we don't know, and the wisest men to ever have walked the earth knew when to say, I don't know. Solomon says, we can't know the mind of God. Jesus himself says, God the Father knows, I don't know. Um, and we read that throughout the scriptures of these super wise men who, who know God intimately, and they still say, there's stuff we don't know. Isaiah, Paul, like so many of the, the biblical writers just say, I don't know, God knows. And the idea here, and this is, you can see this throughout Proverbs also, is that a fool has an answer for everything. And uh, this isn't in my notes, but I remember as a kid, <clears throat> I used to just say I know, no matter what was said to me. Like, I would, like, I, I don't understand my mindset, but, like, my brother would say something, and I'm like, yeah, I know. And he's like, no, you don't know. Like, you just ask the question, and then you're responding, you know. You didn't know. That's why you asked the question. And I, that was my, this, like, automatic, off-the-cuff answer. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's like, no, you don't know. And that's sort of a foolish thing to get into of just saying, I know everything. I have an answer for everything. Like, oh, let me tell you all the answers for everything. That's a foolish thing. That's, that's how a fool speaks. A wise man knows when to say, I don't know. Continuing in verse 8. Jesus' response to, is this the time that the kingdom of Israel is going to be set up? 
He says, it's not for you to know times and seasons. And then verse 8, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So he says, sort of don't worry about it. I have other things for you to do. When uh, Johnny and I and Pastor Dave were going to go to Nepal, weeks ahead of time, maybe even a month or more, but leading up to when we left for Nepal, I sort of got this phrase from God, and it was just simply, do not get distracted. And when I first sort of, it came to mind, I was like, God, that's sort of a weird, like it wasn't a a verb, like I didn't hear God's voice, but like this phrase came into mind, I'm like, kind of an odd thing, like what, how would I get distracted? I'm like, okay. And I prayed about it and kept it in mind. And the closer we got to Nepal, the more stuff, interpersonal friendships sort of imploding and just stuff happening all around us and a lot of stuff that could easily distract from the mission that God had us to do. And I was, and I remember going, all right, God, I, I get what you're saying now. Like when you first said it, nothing was sort of this crazy, but God spoke that thing to me so that when things get, did get crazy, I would say, okay, don't get distracted. Focus on the mission. And we need to know the word of God. We need to understand what's being said. That's why I'm sort of pausing on this verse and saying, okay, here's what they're referencing. This is a good thing to study. Know the word of God. Study it. Understand what, where this question's even coming from. But it's super easy to get distracted by some of these things. What I love also is that Jesus doesn't say, like, that's already been fulfilled, and let me explain this whole thing to you. He just simply says, it's not for you to know times and seasons. It's okay for us to have theories. It's okay to have thoughts about these sort of uncertain prophecies, but we can't make it the cornerstone of our faith. We can't make it the foundation of our faith. We can't, and you see this in Christianity a lot, where people will take something like eschatology, the the study of end times, And that's all they want to study. It's all they want to talk about. It's like the foundation of everything they believe. Everything they read in the Bible is all tied back to the end times thing. And that's like they're obsessed with it and they love it. And I love the excitement there. But we're told that we're not going to know all the answers. So to make that sort of the foundational thing of like, I have figured out the end times stuff and let me tell you about it. It's it's foolish and it's not it's not biblical because it's not for us to know times and seasons. Uh, we don't make the uncertain things, we don't make some of our theories like, this is the only thing I want to talk about, this is the only thing I want to study. <coughs> we can easily get sucked into and sort of stuck in study and debate. And in doing that, a lot of the time we neglect what God actually wants us to do. And again, if we <coughs> remember back to verse 1 and what we talked about last week, the ministry that Jesus started and the ministry that he passed on to his disciples, his apostles, uh, is both doing and teaching. If you look at verse 1, Luke is writing about all that Jesus began both to do and teach. This is the ministry of Jesus. That's the ministry he started. And as you read on in those first few verses, that's the ministry he passes on to the apostles. And it's both teaching and doing. And, and often when we get sort of stuck in this pit of, you know, only studying the difficult things to understand, we're getting really 
caught up in the teaching and really learning a lot, which is a, a fantastic thing. But if you are never doing, then you're not fulfilling the work of Jesus that he has for you to do, and you're, you're getting distracted. So that's what Jesus is saying here is, don't get distracted. Jesus doesn't rebuke them and say you're stupid for asking this question. He doesn't say you're not allowed to have these theories. But he tells them, it's not for you to know everything. Look for the job that I have for you to do. Wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to empower you to do what I have for you to do, the ministry that I have for you to do. Continuing in verse 9, it says, uh, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So just imagine this happening. They're talking to Jesus. It says, uh, Now when he had spoken these things. So they're all looking at Jesus. He's sort of teaching them. And all of a sudden, he just starts to float, sort of levitate, and everyone's like, holy cow. And then he just floats up into the sky, and then a cloud just covers him up. And they're like, just staring. And that's what we read on in verse 10. He says, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, they're just like, literally like, staring where he sort of disappeared. All of them, everybody, all of his followers just staring up in the sky. Like... There, there he was a minute ago. And as, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. This is common language in the Old Testament that it identifies angels. And also these are all Jesus's followers, right? They all know each other. They've seen each other. And this is just two men in white apparel. We don't know where they came from. We don't know when they disappeared. But these are clearly angels that pop up and they say, Men of Galilee... Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So this is where we get the solid word from the lips of angels saying, Jesus will return the same way that he ascended into heaven. He will come out of the clouds. He will come down from the sky and that is how he will return during his second coming. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. So this is a very short way from Jerusalem. You weren't allowed to walk a long way on the Sabbath, so it's a Sabbath day journey. They go back to Jerusalem. It says, And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room, where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. This is the remaining 11 of the 12 disciples the women that's, that are mentioned here are probably Mary and Martha, maybe Mary Magdalene, uh, also Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus's brothers. We don't know how many Jesus's, how many brothers Jesus had. We know that James and Jude are two of his brothers who wrote books bearing their name in the New Testament. They're probably there. And just a little side note on that, Jesus's brothers earlier in Jesus's ministry, they sort of teased him, sort of mocked him, did not believe 
he was the Christ. And they kind of teased him early on, kind of saying, like, oh, why don't you go do this thing if you're, you know, show everybody who you actually are, show them what you can do. But now here they're with his disciples and they're worshiping their brother as God. Uh, that is an astounding thing. And you read through James, you read through Jude, and you see that these guys are the brothers of Jesus, grew up with Jesus, and they are saying, he is the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, I would not ever praise my brother in that way. Um, if you guys have siblings, you, you've seen how they live, you understand who they are, and even if your, your brother is like, oh, he's the good one, you know, like, that, that kind of becomes a thing. It's probably why they teased Jesus earlier in his ministry, but when it was revealed all of the, what he was doing, when he dies, he raises again, he ascends into heaven, he's ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. Now they're saying, okay, like, yes, he was always the good one. Yes, he's our brother, but we can't argue with this. Like, that, that is a massive testament to who Jesus was because they saw him, they grew up with him, they knew him, and to realize, like, man, he is... God, like, what an, a crazy thing to understand. But like I said, it's, it's also a testament because anybody that you've grown up with, you know the good, you know the bad. These people knew Jesus, and they were willing to say, like, they were willing to go till the end, like, die for Jesus because they knew he was God. Continuing in verse 15, it says, And in those days Peter stood up, here we're going to see a, a major transformation sort of happen in Peter. Uh, a month and a half earlier, we see him rebuking Jesus, telling him what to do, telling God what to do, what not to do. He's very impulsive. He's very proud. He's a little rebellious. He pulled out a sword at one point, cuts off the high priest ear. Uh, he, he's denying Christ. He's just sort of all over the place. And obviously he did a lot of great things. He was a faithful man. He walked on water. He 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 was the first to proclaim who Jesus was. Like, there's a lot of great things that Peter did, but what I'm saying is the transformation that we're going to see in Acts, he's a different guy. Like, after he saw his one of his, his best friend die on the cross, rise again, ascend into heaven, and just, like, disappear and, and be glorified as God, it changes him. And... What I want to pull from that is that when God calls us and gives us a purpose, he transforms us and he empowers us. Whatever he's called us to do, he empowers us to do that thing. Johnny spoke a little bit on that when he went through his series. I don't remember the phrase, Johnny, the sort of YWAM thing. What, maybe? what God starts, he imparts or something like oh, that. He, who he anoints, he appoints. That's the one. That, and that's exactly what we're going to see in, in Peter, but also in our own lives. When he appoints you to do something, there's an anointing that he will give you. He will empower you to do that thing that he called you to do. And in verse 15, and also thinking about before Jesus ascends, right? He sits, he has a meal with Peter, he eats fish, and he, over this meal, he tells Peter, like, you're going to be the leader. Earlier in the ministry, he tells Peter, I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock, and you're going to be the rock on which I build this church. Peter is set up as the leader earlier in the ministry, and right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he gives Peter this 
massive responsibility and this uh, amazing ministry. And we're going to see Peter start acting the way that God wants him to, to act. He says, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples altogether. The number of names was about 120 and said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and attained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Good image. Good image. We, we know from elsewhere in Scripture that he hung himself. Apparently, in that hanging, he also uh, fell and gushed. Uh, verse 20 says, It became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that that field is called, in their own language, Akadamah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. So what Luke is writing here is, uh, he quotes a couple of Psalms here that are speaking about the wicked, and what his point here is, is that Judas was wicked, and he was judged for that wickedness, uh, for what he had done. But now it's time to reinstate the leadership that Jesus had set up. And there's 120 people, it says here, all numbered with them. But Jesus set up Peter as the leader. And now Peter is setting up the rest of the leadership team the same way that Jesus had set it up. In verse 21, it says, Therefore... Of these men who accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So this is important. Peter wants to be sure that the foundation is very strong. And this is another theme we're going to sort of see as Christianity starts to be formed. It's very important that the foundation is strong. It's very important that the disciples, that the apostles set it up as, as solid as they can, because, I mean, we are part of this church, right? We're living stones we've talked about before. We are built on the foundation that Peter is setting up here. And what he's saying is whoever takes this 12th place, like we're going to set up the leadership the same way Jesus set it up. And whoever takes this 12th place has to be a witness of everything that Jesus did, has to have seen the dove, has to have uh, seen him baptized, seen him do the healing, seen him teach the hard teachings, heard him give the warning that the followers were going to be persecuted and killed for his namesake. See all the things that Jesus did, see him die and buried, risen again, and ascended into heaven, has to have seen all of that stuff. The next person who's going to be part of the 12 has to have seen all of this. This is interesting for a few reasons, but um, it's, it's funny how it's sort of similar to when the discussion was like, okay, like we're going to put the New Testament together, we're going to have these scriptures, like what do we include? And it came down to only the writers have to have been direct followers of Jesus 
or direct disciples of direct followers of Jesus. We're not going to go any further than that. And we talked about this a little bit at the coffeehouse thing last week, that when there's sort of a power generator, if the farther you go down that line, the less energy you sort of get. And when you, when you think about you know, eyewitnesses, people who have not seen these things, they're commenting and, and you know, putting together their ideas, but they didn't actually see the thing. So this is very similar to how we sort of set up scripture. Like we need it to be eyewitnesses. We need these people to have known Jesus. And that's what Peter is saying also. And I believe that this is the wisdom of God that's working through Peter to, to set up the ministry the same, same way Jesus set it up and to, to do it in a, in a very wise and respectful way. We're going to finish off the chapter here in verse 23. It says, and they proposed two. There's two people that are going to be proposed here. Joseph called Barsabbas, who is surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Okay, there's some things that... uh, we're going to discuss here, but the main thing that I don't want to sort of get lost in this final sort of topic that we're going to tackle is that every ministry needs a strong and reliable leadership team before it begins, right? The apostles are there. They're in Jerusalem doing what Jesus told them to do. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit, but they're using their time very wisely. They are figuring out the logistics. They are setting up the leadership team, the hierarchy of how this ministry is going to work, and they're deciding how to continue this ministry in the same way that Jesus started it. Sure, you could have had 13, but Jesus chose 12, and they're saying there was a reason for that. We're going to just have 12, and these guys are obviously both great choices, but we're going to choose just one of them and keep it 12. Also, this does not mean that justice is not part of the ministry and that he's not an apostle. We see him pop up later in the story. Paul mentions him in one of his letters. He continues in the ministry. He continues as an apostle. Matthias was just chosen to be one of the 12. We don't know exactly what that means or what that entails, but it seems to be, as I said, sort of how the leadership of ministry was going to move forward. Uh, Now, I don't want to forget any of that, so lock that in your memory. But let's deal with how they chose Matthias. The casting of lots. Do we all know what casting lots is? Gambling. Only a die chance. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, okay. So (laughs) there were bones or small stones, maybe different colors, maybe sticks. The idea was they they would throw these things down and make decisions so we would say rolling dice yeah jacks uh drawing of straws would be similar to casting of lots you know you have a short straw whoever draws a short straw is it 
the magic eight ball is uh, <laughs> one we've all seen. Should I do this thing? I like this. No way, Jose. <laughs> That's sort of a casting of lots idea. So should we use this method in our decision making in everyday life? This is a very interesting question. The disciples use this method to choose a, make a very important decision. <laughs> Uh, this casting of lots. Jesus not there? No, I'm doing this. So, first decision. We could pray. Now let's just throw some sticks on the camera. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a strange way to choose the leadership team for this massive ministry. Casting lots is a super strange but very common occurrence in the Bible. Very common. You start looking into this and it's like, holy cow, we're casting lots all the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Old Testament too. The, yeah, the Romans, they cast lots to, to try and win Jesus's garment. It had, you know, no seams. It was a beautiful uh, garment and they didn't want to tear it up. So they cast lots to, to try and win it, right? That, that's the gambling. Somebody said gambling. Uh, Chance. Yeah. Uh, people cast lots in the Old Testament to win servants or Cattle, that you know, again, kind of a gambling thing. Yeah? So basically, lots is just a term for multiple forms of basically... Shooting dice. Whatever. Yeah, something. Yeah, you're lots. making a, a decision. It's like playing Twister and flicking the thing. <laughs> it's, that flip, it's a flip of the coin. They also cast lots in the Old Testament to figure out who was like, did the crime. Like, they'd yeah. be like, who was the one who had really yeah, they use it as God's voice? And they cast lots like, which tribe? Which family? Clan? Which family? Yeah. Which prison? When, uh, when Jonah was running from the call of God, he gets in this boat. The sailors are like, somebody in this boat's causing us trouble. Let's cast lots. The lot falls on Jonas. They throw him overboard. Uh, this is kind of what it was right. So this is kind of what we think about. But the I got lost when I looked into this one time. I was like, everything I'm finding is like more reliable than it's crazy. Because as we move on here, leaders were also chosen in Nehemiah and in Chronicles by the casting of lots. The the promised land was divided to the 12 tribes by the casting of lots Whoa. by God's commandment. That was an intense game of God says, you will choose the land for each tribe by casting of lots. That's what God told them to do. God tells Moses to have the priest cast lots on the Day of Atonement. They have these two goats. One will be sacrificed. One will be the scapegoat to signify your sin being, you know, chased off by the atoning sacrifice of God. And God says, cast a lot to see which one's going to be sacrificed and which one's going to be the scapegoat. Real question. Yeah. Did you find any after the day of Pentecost? I didn't look into that. Because the reason I'm saying that is because the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. And so they're like, they they didn't have this tapping into who God was. Jesus wasn't there. And that's what they had known culturally. Because it is, you would think it would sure. play in later on, but then the Holy Spirit comes and then the Holy Spirit starts directing them all over the place. That's very true. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to see. That would be an interesting study, but... And yeah. So there is a no. That's I think that's super interesting. I will look into that. That's how they decided. Uh, uh, 
Joke. <laughs> 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 gonna make a joke. Gonna be really yeah. Yeah. I want to hear the joke. <laughs> so, the bottom line is, we need to seek God, His plan for our lives. And we need to ask Him daily for guidance in every area of our lives. Okay, let's let's start there. That's how we should live our lives. Let's ask for guidance and and start there. With that said. Sometimes God is sort of eerily silent when asking for direction, and he wants us to make a decision. Sometimes the Spirit won't move until we make a decision. They are waiting for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, to show up. And again, they're using their time very wisely but some decisions need to be made. And uh, when I was trying to decide what to do with my life many years ago, <laughs> I could, t- uh, this is before I left California and I could sort of see what my life would look like if I stayed in California. It was a pretty clear path of what it would look like. Leaving California, I was Gonna, I knew I was going to do the backpacking trip through Europe, but I was kind of thinking, like, maybe I'll go to Ohio, you know? My brother lives out there. Maybe I'll just, you know, get a change of scenery. And I was thinking and praying about this a lot, and there's a verse sitting up on that shelf that was very impactful. It's in uh, Proverbs 16, and it says, A man chooses his plan, but God directs his steps. So a man chooses his way, but God directs his steps. And I I felt very freed by that, that I can take both of these, either of these paths, but God is going to be with me no matter what. God was eerily silent. I didn't know what he wanted. I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. And for years I had been saying, God, please tell me what your plan for my life is. And I would do nothing. I would do nothing. And because I hadn't heard what God wanted me to do. So I would just sit and do nothing. And I after many years, I started feeling very stagnant. I was not growing. I didn't know what my life was about. I was <laughs> starting to worry my friends and family because I was sort of a bum. And I would just wait. I'm waiting for God to tell me what to do. And in this time in my life, I felt like God wanted me to move. Just do something. Make a decision and do something. Whether you stay Take, take life seriously and, and do the right thing. Whether you go, like, again, just be purposeful with what you're thinking and, and what you're doing. When we felt like God was calling us back to California, we were praying and fasting and trying to figure out, is this from God? This is a huge decision. It's a little different now. I'm not just some punk kid. Like, we have jobs. We have each Annie and I have each other. Like, we're going to go to this place where we don't have jobs and we'll never afford anything. We're going to be broke. Like we had all these concerns, but we felt like God was calling us. And when God did speak to me about that, and many people will argue with me till they're red in the face, but what I got from God is you can stay in Ohio, live a comfortable and safe life, and I will bless that path. Or you can go to California and be more fruitful. That, that's the word that I got from God, and I was like, I mean, that's not even a choice. Like, God w- wants to use me in California, right? That's the path that I chose. 
he he wasn't as silent as when I went out to Ohio. It was a little bit more clear. Like I want, I would rather you do this thing, but there was these this crossroads, this this path to choose. Another one where I was praying and asking God for uh, direction was this series that I'm teaching you right now. When I first was asked to lead you guys, I was praying about what to teach. I had a couple of books in mind, and God very strongly put on my heart Peter. And that's why we went through 1 Peter. It's why we went through 2 Peter. God put that on my heart for you guys. In this series, I was like, what do you want me to teach on, God? Like, what do you want me to, how do you want me to lead? And I, again, God was sort of eerily silent. And I'm like, okay, I got some ideas. I got some books I want to go through. Johnny suggested Acts. Cast lots. And we, we cast lots and decided, no, we did not cast lots, but I was just sort of thinking and praying about it and, you know, should I do this book? Should I do this? Should I go through Acts? And it was just one of those things of like, God's not going to be like, don't teach the Bible. Like, don't teach, don't teach that book. I know it's, I know it's in the Bible, but don't teach that book. Like, it was one of those moments of like, I need to make a decision. And so I chose Acts. I think it's a really good one. I'm really excited to be going through this. But my point in saying all of this is that we should not just flip a coin for every decision throughout our lives. We should not be shaking that magic eight ball. Should I go to that party? Oh, it said yes. I'm going to do that. Like the coin said, yeah. Like that's not how we should live our lives. But when we're between two solid choices, right? They weren't. They didn't have another Judas Iscariot and like a righteous man. Like these were two solid choices, godly men that had seen and heard some really tough teachings that Jesus gave. They saw Jesus suffer. They knew they were in for some suffering. Probably had already experienced some suffering for their own. These are solid, godly men. Pick one. Yes, it changes what they will be doing. But one of them is going to do one job and the other will do the other other job. Because again, both Justice and Matthias, they're both in this ministry later on. So my point is, this is not how we should live our everyday lives. This is not how we should make our everyday decisions. This shirt or this shirt? Well, God, I I flipped this coin and God told me to wear this shirt. That's not really what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is these are two solid godly choices which direction are we going to go in so that's my take on lots uh we can discuss it till we're blue in the face there's a lot to talk about with it but through my study and and also my experience this is uh the way that god has sort of spoken to me that when you're at that crossroads and there are two good choices, they're two godly choices, sometimes God wants you to make a decision and stick with it. So that's lots, and that's chapter one of Acts. Next week, the Holy Spirit shows up and everything changes. So come back. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear guys, I want to thank you so much for everything you do in our lives, for speaking to us for teaching us, for sending a helper to live within us and guide us every day, God. I pray that when we come to these tough decisions that we will do things prayerfully, that we will ask you for guidance. And God, I pray that we will not neglect your call on our lives for any excuse, God, but that we will uh, just 
constantly strive to be closer to you and fulfill your plan and your calling on our lives, God. We love you and pray that you and I pray that you uh, bless the rest of this evening and our fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen.